<laughs> Isn't it great we can come together and have fun and just laugh? And It's not a performance, not a show. We're brothers and sisters. We're family here. And that's a blessing, amen. Thanks for putting up with me is what I'm saying. <laughs> Father, we just thank you for Matthew 5. We thank you for the profound words of Jesus that still resonate in the hearts of men. Holy Spirit, we ask you to open up this text to us today and drive the principles and the, the important facets of it deep into our hearts so that it would change the way we think and the, th the way we live. Help these beatitudes be something that we apply to our daily living so that the blessings of them can be part of our story. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Matthew 5 here has been working our way through. Uh, we're going to be focusing on verses 10 and 11 today. Uh, an interesting topic you're going to hear when we get there. Let me read them to you and uh, we'll jump into the word. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountain and after he had sat down his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and began to teach them saying you might say to yourself pastor why are you reading these over and over every week so they get in us right. amen repetition yes. every time we hear these things we should be reminded of all the messages that we've heard on them blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Listen to our target verse. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Our target verse here, blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So a topic that's not very exciting, persecution, but it is a relevant one. And as I preach through this message, I hope that some of us are going to wake up to, to see the implications of what Jesus is talking about here are very uh, important even in this generation. Now, the problem with persecution is this. Persecution is such an ugly thing because it is rooted in injustice. And you and I as Christians, we have to care about injustice. If you and I just look around and we see injustice around us and we see things that are backwards and broken and systemic issues and problems with the way people think and problems with cultures and there's injustice everywhere and we say, well, it doesn't affect me, so I don't care. That's the wrong heart to have. You and I should be offended at injustice because God is offended at it. God sees the unjust scales and the unjust balances, and he says, the injustice of this produces a stench in my nostrils. He's offended at it. And we should be offended as well. Now, persecution of the righteous is unjust at every level. When you think about what Jesus went through, being the only man to never sin, comes to earth, he's beaten, he's crucified, he's tormented in such a way, rejected by the priest, rejected by his own. I mean, the injustices that Jesus suffered, he was persecuted. Why? God made him the object of wrath so that our sin can be imparted to him so that he could destroy it on the cross once and for all, breaking the power of sin over the lives of men. 
Injustice should affect us, and persecution, the injustice of it should move us. Now, when you look at the Greek words used here for persecution, they, they really mean what you think they would mean. There's no insight here into going to the Greek, but the dictionary gives us a definition that's pretty powerful all in itself. Uh, the definition of persecution is a program or a campaign to exterminate, drive away, or subjugate people based on their membership in a religious, ethnic, social, or racial group. If you wrap your head around that, even in the quick time I said it, all of that should you know, provoke emotions in us. Yeah that the injustices of those things that you would oppress or subjugate or just beat down people. Why? Because of their faith. That's what we're talking about here today. It's the faith of people that are righteous and the, the fact that their righteousness comes from God, but it's rejected by the darkness of the world and reflexively the world persecutes the righteous because darkness hates the light. Notice Matthew 5's reference is to a specific type of persecution. It's persecution for righteousness sake. Did you hear that? Yeah. Yeah. You know, our generation thinks everything is persecution. If you take a student loan and they want you to pay it back, I'm being persecuted. <laughs> uh, you know, newsflash to the softest, most entitled generation who has the victim mentality. Listen, suffering because of your own bad behavior or your own bad choices is not persecution. That's not what Jesus is talking about. It's amazing how people paint themselves the victim. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and we thrive on that in this generation. And the multitudes clamor to it because they love it, that victim mentality. But we're not the victim as Christians, even in persecution. We're the victors, amen? We're not yeah. the victims. <laughs> Greater is he who's in us than he who's in the world. But, you know, when I make bad choices and I make bad decisions or I exhibit bad behavior, if I get what's coming to me, that's not persecution. This is persecution. The injustice of it is because it's for righteousness sake. Now, there are two types of persecution alluded to in these verses here. As we look at verses 10, 11, and 12, uh, I want to just extract what's in there. There's two types of persecution, and the first is this. It's corporate persecution and individual persecution. A corporate persecution is a persecution of the church as a whole. And that's really what verse 10 is focusing in on. Verse 11 shifts gears a little bit to an individual persecution. And that's persecution directed at individuals, whether subtly or openly. People of faith are abused or persecuted or, or their lives are made harder. Why? Just because of their faith. And we looked at this in first service. I, I think the light was going on for some folks because we don't even make the connection to persecution in our, you know, in our lives here because we are so protected in our little bubble of freedom here in the West. Thank God for our freedoms. Thank God for the Constitution. Thank God for the freedoms we have in this nation. We should be very careful about if we sit back and we are not involved in, you know, what's going on in our nation, at least we lose our freedoms. Because listen, once you lose the freedom of speech, once you lose the freedom to practice your religion, once you lose your religious liberties, once you lose the right to keep and bear arms, listen to me, those things don't come back easily without a fight. <laughs> Some of us are so, you know, we are so laid back on this that we are, we're not even aware of what's being eroded in our own nation. There are nations right now in China, you can't do what we're doing right here. You can't come and worship the Lord like we did and have music. You have to be in an underground church. You have to be quiet. You, you can't just shout, praise the Lord. They'll pick you up and put you in prison. Right. Much of the church around the world is underground because it's being persecuted. We're going to talk about that today. 
Let's take a look at corporate persecution first. This is the persecution of the church. Now, historically, if you study scripture from the inception of the church, almost immediately from the birth of the church of Jesus Christ, there has been persecution in the church. There has been martyrdom in the church almost from the beginning. History uh, is sprinkled with the blood of the martyrs, and they have paved the way for us to have the gospel that we have today. So there again, when we talk about martyrdom, that's giving the ultimate sacrifice, sacrificing our lives for Jesus Christ. We talk about that, and these concepts are a little bit estranged to us, and we don't understand it. But if you look at all of the church fathers, if you look at all the apostles, only one of them wasn't martyred. The rest of them were murdered by the state for their faith. John was the only one who wasn't outright killed. He was boiled in oil, and he survived it. Then he was banished to the island of Patmos where he received the revelation and gave us the book of Revelation. Then he died of extreme old age in Ephesus. Every other of the one of them were, were killed through the persecution. Peter was crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy to be crucified like Jesus. And so under the persecution of Nero, the Romans killed Peter. Andrew was crucified in Acacia. James, the butler of Jesus, was thrown from the pinnacle of the temple and beaten to death with clubs. Bartholomew was skinned alive in Armenia. James, the elder son of Zebedee, was beheaded in Jerusalem. Thomas, the doubter, was run through with a lance and killed in the East Indies. Uh, Philip was hanged against a pillar in Heropolis. Thaddeus was shot through with many arrows and killed. Simon died on a cross in Persia. And Paul, the greatest apostle who ever lived, was beheaded in Rome. Not one of them died of natural causes except for John. Martyrdom and persecution has been part of the church since its inception. We are looking at Stephen's martyrdom here in the book of Acts as we study through it on Wednesday night. I encourage you to come to Wednesday night. We have a couple extra seats for you. And uh, you'll be blessed and you'll learn about church history and, and, and how persecution. In fact, it's amazing as I'm preaching this, the, the text that I'll be handling on Wednesday talks about the dispersion of the church through persecution. It's the Holy Spirit syncing these things up, amen? Uh, I'm not smart enough to do that. It's got to be him. So the corporate church, the church has always been persecuted. Yet, you know, we have a hard time understanding. You say, well, certainly all these guys, you know, at the beginning, yeah, the Romans and the Colosseum and, you know, Christians. Yeah, we get it. But the modern church is in a state of persecution right now in a very big way. You know, we've played videos and taken offerings for the voice of the martyrs. And we see our, our brothers and sisters, especially in the Middle East over the last, you know, uh, decade here, there has been a, a huge influx of martyrdom in the Middle East. Anybody, you know, I know it's not in the news cycles anymore, so they don't want us to think about it. But anybody remember ISIS? ISIS has murdered, beheaded, crucified, and exterminated thousands of Christians. And most of us, don't even think about it. I dare you to go home and Google the persecution of Christianity. The images that you will see on your computer screen will jar you. And you might say, oh, pastor, we just want to come hear a little preaching and then go to the buffet. We want to have a nice Sunday. Sometimes we have to allow the Holy Spirit to break our hearts for what breaks God's heart. 
You know, we sing, break my heart for what breaks yours. It breaks the heart of God to see his people persecuted. There are 10 nations on the face of the earth right now that it is open season on Christian. Here are the top 10 nations that persecute the gospel. The number one, this might shock you a little bit, North Korea. North Korea is the number one nation. In North Korea, if you have a Bible or go to a Bible study or say you're a Christian, they will immediately arrest you and put you in a labor camp and work you to death. Somalia is number two, Iraq, Syria, Afghanistan, all of these Muslim-majority countries. It is a crime to convert to Christianity. You can be executed for it. Iran, Pakistan, Eritrea is a small place in north of Ethiopia and Africa. Just amazing persecution. Nigeria, Christians being slaughtered, sold, girls being taken and given away into Muslim marriage. Do you realize what is going on? <laughs> you look upset that you're here right now. But we need to hear these things. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Persecuted for no other reason other than their faith in Jesus Christ. Western Christians are so far removed from this concept and we enjoy the freedoms that we have and should protect them. Our religious liberty is a huge freedom. But this is what is happening to our brothers and sisters. The Voice of the Martyrs and some Christian reports put out a report monthly. Every 30 days, this is what Christians face. And these are just what's reported. 322 Christians are murdered for their faith every month. That's one every day. 214 churches or Christian properties are attacked, burned, ransacked, just taken away. 722 acts of violence are committed against Christians because of their faith. Almost 200 women are sexually assaulted, raped, or forced into marriage because of their faith. Countless Christians are detained worldwide with no due process and in prison. Countless Christians are tried for their faith under blasphemy laws in Muslim-majority countries where they face possible execution. Countless Christians lose their families, their jobs, their possessions, and their social status just for daring to profess their faith in Jesus Christ. Wow. Wow. Wow, I haven't heard it this quiet. I can hear the amps buzzing. God, break our heart for what breaks yours. Help us to care. You say, Pastor, well, what can we do? We could pray. We can intercede. We can support ministries like the Voice of the Martyrs. We can support ministries that help displaced Christians. We, we can petition our government to open the doors to real refugees who are coming from religious persecution. Persecution and martyrdom has always been part of the church. You say, Pastor, there's, uh, there's thousands and thousands and perhaps millions of Christians that have been killed throughout you know, the ages. What happens to them? Revelation 6, 9 tells us there's a special place in heaven for the martyrs. Revelation 6, 9 through 11, when the lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God, and listen, and because of their testimony, which they maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, how long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And there was given to each one of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer, while the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been, would be completed." 
Understand in heaven, God, God doesn't just say, oh, well, you know, you got here. Don't care how you got here. It's good to be here. No, he sees what people do to his children and he cares and he sees the injustice of it. And all of them are gathered together in one place under the altar where worship is taking place in heaven. And their blood is crying out to God. Remember, when innocent blood is shed, it cries out to God. When Cain killed Abel, the blood cried out from the ground and into God's ears. Listen, the innocent blood of the martyrs cries out, how long, how long before you avenge us? Wow. And the number of the martyrs is a number that God knows. He knows every person who will give their life in defense of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, what a privilege it would be to be martyred for Jesus Christ. You say, Pastor, do you think that will ever happen to any of us? I don't know. But if it does happen, what an honor it would be to lay our lives down for the furtherance of the gospel. The church is built on the blood of the martyrs. With each one of their deaths, the injustice of it cries up to heaven, and the church became stronger and stronger. There is corporate persecution in the earth today. There was corporate persecution from the inception of the church, and Jesus says there is a blessing attached to those who endure it. Number two, let's talk about individual persecution. Jesus highlights two forms of individual persecution, and, and, and the two of them are kind of interesting. He says, you know, blessed are you what? When people insult you, say insult. insult. He talks about insults and then he says, when they falsely say all kinds of evil against you. And so there's false accusation. The two types of uh, personal persecution that Jesus highlights are insults and false accusations. That seems interesting. Let's talk about that a little bit today. You know, when people insult us, no matter how mature we are, no matter how old we are, no matter how many times we've been insulted, it always stings. In fact, if I said, who likes to be insulted and you raised your hand, I would suggest upping your medication. <laughs> Nobody likes to be insulted. And you know what, no matter how mature you get, when you're insulted, you know, it is a hard thing to handle graciously. We live in a generation that is so cynical and so, you know, I mean, people just insult each other all the time. And how, when those things come, they sting. How do you handle them gracefully? Maybe, I mean, I don't know about you, but I've had people say crazy stuff to me. Anybody else? You know, like your favorite teacher says, describes you as being so dumb that you couldn't pour water out of a boot if the directions were on the heel. Happened to you too, huh? Your closest friend envies people who haven't met you. Insults. People insult each other all the time. How about people who do it, you know, they do it little, they're a little slippery with it, you know. They say something and you're like, ha ah, ha, and then when they walk away, they're like, hey. <laughs> you know, some people are really skilled at it. You know, you're like, ah, ha, ha. oh. You know, your boss tells you he doesn't have the time or the crayons to explain something to you, you know. Man, this, this second service is not too sharp, man. Time or the crayons, I guess that's this group. <laughs> insults. There were two actresses that hated each other so much they always found ways to insult each other. The one had just authored a critically acclaimed book and the other said, great book. I really enjoyed it. I wonder who wrote it for you. <laughs> and she said, thanks so much. I wrote it myself. I wonder who read it to you. <laughs> I got that one. Insults. Maybe you've been insulted. Maybe you're an insulter. Maybe you're passive aggressive and you use those things to make your digs. 
Being insulted is always hard to handle. It's hard to handle graciously. It can really upset us because the enemy has a way of rehearsing those insults over and over again till we begin to believe them. Wisdom and humility dictate that when we feel insulted, we should evaluate the accusation honestly and answer some questions about it. You know, when things are said to us and they bother us, we should bring them before the Lord and ask a few questions. Uh, Here are four ways that a mature Christian evaluates an insult. Does the person I feel insulted by have spiritual credibility or moral integrity? You see, you have to ask yourself, if I, because many times we take things as an insult and they, they, they weren't an insult, it was just something that we needed to hear that was hard to hear. Right. And so when we have to hear something, somebody tells us something that's hard to hear. Maybe a boss says something about your job performance or, you know, a coworker, you know, and, and, and you know there's validity there, but you don't want to hear it, so you take it as an insult. Does that person who's saying what they're saying who, that you feel insulted by, do they have integrity, credibility? Do they have moral integrity? If yes, consider what they're saying. If no, let it go. Number two, do I feel insulted because there's some truth in what's being said? Yeah. Many times, you know when your spouse says something and you're, you just don't want to hear it, but they're exactly 110% right? You know, try and talk to your wife about her time management skills. This will be a really... In- and when, you know, my wife says something, you know, <laughs> the, the men in the front row are already tapping out. They're like, no... <laughs> You know, my wife sometimes will say something to me and I've annoyed her, this sweet little thing. I annoyed her to the point where she let me have it. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, she's right. (laughs) Now what am I going to do? What? What was that? She want to, it's being recorded. She wants to know. (laughs) You know, when your spouse is right and there's truth in what's being said. And you know, when you hear it, you know right away the Holy Spirit's going, "Ah, hello. And you're like, no. If what they're saying has some truth in it, consider what they're saying. If there's no truth in it, let it go. You know, people accuse us of things all the time. We know when it's not true. Liars think everybody lies. Thieves think everybody steals. People who are manipulative think everybody's manipulative. If they go, you're a liar, you're a thief, you're manipulating me. If it's not true, let it go. Don't rehearse it over and over in your head. You might start to believe it. Number three, does the person making the accusation really know me? Uh, My wife and I, being in ministry a long time, we've had people make wild accusations against us that don't even know us. And you're just like, I mean, you know, it stings a little bit because, you know, you're just like, why? You know, why the vitriol? Why the anger? But, you know, we know it's not true, so you have to just not consider it but let it go. Does the person really know me? When someone really knows you and they tell you something that's hard to hear, you should pay attention to it. If my mom pulls me aside, my dad pulls me aside, you know, people who really know me, my wife, you know, when we need to listen up when some people take the time to bring correction or to challenge us. More often than not, we really needed to hear what they're saying for a long time, but no one else had the guts to tell us. Number four, Is the person being mean or doing it out of a jealous spirit or do they have your best interest in mind? See, there's certain people that have your best interest in mind and some of the groups that I mentioned, you know, who can speak into your life. But you and I know when someone's doing something out of jealousy. 
Come on, can you guys smell that as easily as I can? You know, when someone's coming at you with digs and, you know, insults and you're this and you're that. And you can just see they're just jealous. You know, the kids say, don't be jelly. Right? Don't be jealous, right? But if they're just being mean-spirited, they're mean. They're mad at life because they made a mess and bad decisions, so they're projecting that on you, okay? If, if it's coming out of a mean spirit or a jealous spirit, you know, you got to be very careful. Uh, there's times where, you know, if they have your best interest in mind and they've always had your back and they, they, they've never tried to hurt or harm you, they've always been for you, you should consider what they say. If not, just let it go. Now, Proverbs 27 wraps this whole thought up. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Proverbs 27, 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. What does that mean? A friend will tell you something that you have to hear that's hard to hear. Don't take it as an insult because it's not destructive criticism. It's constructive criticism. But the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Oh, you're great. You're wonderful. You're the best. You're the nicest pastor that ever lived. I'll never leave you. Yeah. You want to kill me now, Brutus? Or yeah. Want to kiss me now, Judas? Or you? Yeah. <laughs> not my first rodeo. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Not everything's an insult, but when it is an insult, when there's no basis to it, let it go. Notice every one of those points. Consider it or let it go. Consider it or let it go. Let it go. Let it go. I said let it go four times. Why? Because some of us have a problem letting things go. And just because someone said something to us and, and you know, it hurt us and we, we didn't handle it properly, now it's stuck in our hearts and the enemy plays it over and over in our head and we don't let it go and it winds up hurting us. Yeah. If it's not true, if it's not from God, if, it's, if, God, if the Holy Spirit's saying no, let it go. Now, having said all of this, it's true also that sometimes the insults of our enemies can point out things that we need to work on. I've had people who are not for me, who are against me, who, you know, I know it's hard to believe, but people who've hated me. My mother says, I'm so wonderful. I don't understand. But, you know, I've had enemies say things to me, and the Holy Spirit's going, yep. Yep, yep. And I'll be like, is that the devil and the Holy Spirit? No, no, it's not the devil. It's me. It's, you need to work on that. Wow. That's hard to swallow. But even, we can, if we're wise, if we're mature, we can even learn from our enemies about things in our character that we need to work on. Don't take everything as an insult, but when they are insults and there's no basis or foundation to them and they're not constructive and the Holy Spirit is checking your heart, just let them go. So we deal with the insults here and we learn to grow and stretch, but we don't allow people's words to destroy us. You know, they're behind insults usually. I don't know about you, but people have said things to me that I could, you know, when people are saying stuff to you that you know it's not them, it is the devil. Like, I've had people say stuff to me, and as it's coming out of their mouth, if I squint just hard enough, I could see, like, horns and a pitchfork standing behind them. <laughs> because, like, they're not even smart enough to come up with that stuff. How would you know that? It's the enemy. You know, the enemy speaks through people whose yeah. tongues are available. Yeah. Oh, come on. Yes. You know, and he's got no shortage. That's right. <laughs> Sometimes they're even in the church. So... When the insults come, we, we learn to deal with them and we don't allow them to 
shatter our faith or to push us backwards. But Jesus said those persecutions would come. The second thing he says this for individual persecution is false accusations. He said, when people falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Remember, this is the persecution of righteousness. They are saying things about you because they hate the Jesus in you. So they fabricate stuff up about you. Now, understand something. We live in a world of lying liars who use their toxic tongues to assassinate the character of others with half-truths and total fabrications. And they do it all the time, and they use the media, and they say stuff, and before, you know, even if it's an outright lie, either they never retract it, it never gets refuted, or the retraction is on page 22, section Z. Come on, the people just lie. And in the political arena, they know if you say a lie enough times, a lot of the sheep will believe it and begin to parrot it. Wow. We live in a generation of lying liars. And the toxic things that people say about others. You can assassinate someone's character. You can besmirch someone's reputation just with toxic things that are baseless. Wow. Jesus said that they would do this to us, that they would do this to the righteous. Now, I know of nothing more that provokes us reflexively to defend ourselves than when somebody lies about us and other people readily believe it. Now, when someone's lying about you, maybe at work, maybe on the, in the neighborhood, maybe in the family, someone's lying about you, and why? Because they just don't like you. Why? Because you're one of them Christians. You're one of those narrow-minded Christians. You're so narrow-minded, you can look through a keyhole with both eyes. <laughs> and so they figure, because you're a bad person, they can just make up stuff about you, and they go around lying about you. And then when you go to school, all the other parents that used to talk to you, they turn their face now. Or then you're the neighbors that used to wave where they just go by and pretend they don't see you. When someone lies on you, boy, reflexively, you want to defend yourself. I know of nothing else that's more provocative than, you know, when someone lies about us. Now, when someone lies about us and others believe it, you know, we have to resist the reflexive tendency to want to defend ourselves right away. Jesus stood before his accusers and he was silent. Like a sheep before his shearers. What? You know, the, the prophecy says. And he didn't defend himself to the high priest. He didn't de- defend himself to Pilate. You know, Pilate's like, don't you know I have the power to... Jesus like, you don't have any power. Come on, that's the new Italian version. <laughs> you don't have any power. Lest my Father in heaven gave it to you. Can't touch me. I'm bulletproof. I'm laying my life down. You're not taking it from me. Jesus didn't defend himself. We have to resist the reflex to defend ourselves. Now, listen, the Bible teaches that there is a time for the righteous to make a defense. There is a time that we are permitted to defend ourselves. When I said this in first service, everybody was looking, it's a trap, don't believe it, he's he's just making it up. No, there's a time where we can defend ourselves, but we need to have two things in place before we can ever do it. Number one, we need the grace and the peace of God to do it. God has to say, make a defense. And God has to fill our mouths. Notice every time in scripture when the disciples, the apostles, whoever was brought up to make a defense, the Holy Spirit would fill their mouth and they would say the right things. Did it always effectuate them getting off? No. Sometimes it led to their execution, but they made a testimony and it was a time to make a defense and they did. So we need the grace of God and the peace of God to do it. Why? So that when we defend ourselves, we're really, not, we're really elevating Jesus and the gospel and the defense glorifies God. 
Otherwise, what do I need to defend myself to men for? The second component we need in place before we ever defend ourselves is this. Our emotions must be fully under control before we defend ourselves. Come on, did you hear that today? Our emotions, when I said emotions and fully under control, that should have been a red flag to everybody. I can think maybe of a handful of times in my life where my emotions were fully under control. You say, Pastor, I need to make a defense and I need to stand up and I need to, you know, set the record straight. Well, are your emotions under control? Absolutely not. Then be quiet. Be quiet. Don't say anything. Regroup. You know, what do they used to say? Count to 10. I found like 10,000 works better for me. You know, count 10. I mean, I'm still ready to go after 10. (laughs) But, you know, be silent. Well, I gotta, I gotta speak up. I gotta give them a piece of my mind and give the last piece away. Don't do it. <laughs> right? There's times where I, I'm gonna give a piece of my mind and just, you know, by the time you're done arguing with people, you've sinned more than they did. Anybody? Yes. You're like, they, they stepped on your toe, you drop kicked them. I mean, God in heaven is going, what's going on? You know, it's just that restraint. We need the grace of God. We need the peace of God. We need our emotions under control. And then we need the Holy Spirit to fill our mouth so that we make a defense that glorifies God. That doesn't lift us up and doesn't justify ourselves because the truth is I can't justify myself. I'm a sinner saved by grace. Half of what you think about me is probably true. Yeah, and it's true about you too. (laughs) Why would we go around? (laughs) Why would we go around trying to fight with people to prove that we're good people? I'm a good guy. Yeah, that's why Jesus died for you, good guy. Oh, praise the Lord. So false accusations are hard to deal with. Now, here's the good news about liars. Did you know there was good news about liars? No. The good news about liars and people who make false accusations uh, against the righteous, this is the good news. The truth always has a way of coming out. Come on, and the truth can try, you can try and hide it, but eventually it'll be a shout from the rooftops. People who lie and try and fabricate things and falsely accuse you and make up all kind of evil things against you. Why? Because you're righteous and they hate the righteousness. Because you're a Christian and they hate Christianity. Listen, the truth eventually has a way of coming out. You say, well, what do I have to do to help the truth? Usually the best thing we can do to help the truth is be quiet. Hold your peace. We used to sing that song, when I hold my peace and let the Lord fight my battles victory victory shall be mine amen we should probably bring that song back when i jump in the mud and act like a pig and swing and throw dirt or mud around that's when i really glorify jesus no shh some people have a real hard time with shh they get mad did you just shush me be quiet jesus is fighting for you open your big mouth and jesus said well oh i guess you got this Okay. Oh, Jesus is saying, okay, let's see this. Oh, this is like a UFC fight. This is great. Get some popcorn. He thinks he can handle it. Watch this. He's going to go toe-to-toe with the devil. This is going to be good. Hold your peace. Let the Lord fight your battles. But false accusations are provocative and they're hard to deal with. But liars who make these accusations, the good news is the truth always comes out. And then the second part of the good news is this. Liars eventually overplay their hand. 
and liars destroy their own credibility. And eventually all they are left with is an audience of fools. When someone lies repeatedly and people figured out this person's a liar. I mean, you, you know, you growing up, you always had one kid in school that would just constantly lie. You know, you remember that kid? Yeah, and just everything they said, you didn't believe anything. I ate breakfast this morning. That's probably a lie. <laughs> liars always overplay their hand and they, they always, people figure out that they're liars. And then the only people that listen to them are fools. Well, what happens when all the fools are saying, oh, yeah, I believe the lie. Who cares what fools think? If God be for us, who could be against? If I'm right with God, what do I care about what, what fools say about me? Wow, it's good preaching. The good news about liars, the truth comes out, they always overplay their hand. In reality, this point about you know, individual persecution, there's a little caveat to it because really the persecution isn't rooted or directed at the individual per se. It says, look here, when people lie, you know, when people insult you and falsely accuse you and say call evil against you, against you because of me. Did you hear that? It said, Jesus is saying they're gonna do it to you, but it's because of me. So the point here is this, it feels like individual persecution and it might be directed at individuals, but the truth is it's not the individual that they hate, it's that they hate Jesus. It's not, and you say, why do people hate Jesus? And what's behind all this is the spirit of Antichrist. And the spirit of Antichrist has been operation in the earth even before Jesus walked the earth. Why do you think, you know, Pharaoh and Egypt, they killed and slaughtered all those babies to stop the Messiah coming from the bloodline? Why do you think Herod slaughtered all those babies to stop Jesus' coming? That, that, what was that? That was the spirit of Antichrist. Why do you think the world and the religious leaders opposed Jesus when he came? It was the spirit of Antichrist. What do you think was in operation against the early church that led all of the church fathers to martyrdom? The spirit of Antichrist. And if you study the scripture about the spirit of Antichrist, it's still in operation in the earth today. And by the, uh, the uh, level of persecution that we're seeing in the earth, it is working full force. So it's not us that they hate, it's Jesus. And what's behind that is the spirit of Antichrist. Now, I wanna close with this, and here's the big question. The big question is, if we face persecution. I don't know if we will or we won't, but it's very possible. And there is persecution in our nation right now. It's at a low level that, you know, it's, it's you know, we can deal with it. It's not too much, but the, the tide is turning in our culture. And there are people in our nation who have called our nation a post-Christian nation already. I say that that's not their call. That's up to God. I'm believing for revival in the, before Jesus returns. But already they're saying, you know, we're a post-Christian nation. I just don't agree with that at all. But if persecution comes, how will we face it? Will we shrink back? Will we cower from it? Will we, or will we display spectacular courage and face it with dignity? The way we face persecution will cripple or inspire others when they have to face it. If we face it with dignity and with courage and with self-control, if we stand up for Christ and refuse to back down, that will inspire others. If we run away, if we abandon our faith, if we hide from it, if we refuse to, you know, we refuse to answer it, it will cripple others. And I close with this story. 
During China's Boxer Rebellion in the 1900s, insurgents captured a missionary base and they blocked all the gates in the base except the front door and they placed a cross flat on the ground in front of that door. Word was passed around to those inside, if you are willing to trample the cross underfoot, we will permit you to go free. But if you refuse to trample the cross and deny your faith, you will be shot. Terribly frightened, the first seven students trampled the cross and ran to freedom. The eighth student, a young girl, refused to commit the sacrilegious act. She knelt beside the cross and prayed for strength. She arose and carefully moved around the cross and went before the firing squad. Strengthened by her example, every one of the remaining 92 students followed her to the firing squad. Your faith will either inspire others or it will cripple others. How we face persecution, how we face the insults, how we face the accusations will either cripple or inspire others. I pray that we would make the decision that if the time ever came, we would make a bold stand for Jesus Christ no matter what it cost us. You need to make that decision today. You need to make it today. (laughs) But there's no threat. There's no threat that can make us walk away from Jesus. Who else has the word of life? (laughs) The apostles lived a breath and a heartbeat away from eternity. At any moment, they could be murdered, and they were. But on the other side of that is peace with God forever in his presence. On the other side of that is, is life under the altar, waiting for Jesus to come and reckon the injustice of it all. What a special honor and privilege it is for those who have laid their life down for the gospel's sake. Should God count us worthy of that, I pray we would have the courage to embrace it. Let's bow our heads today. Father, I thank you today for this challenging word. And Father, in this nation where we have freedoms, we thank you for them. And we pray that we would be appreciative and vigilant to protect those liberties. And God, that we wouldn't allow the enemy just to steal them away to the point where now open persecution of the church can happen in America. But God, if persecution should visit us, allow us to settle it in our hearts that though it may cost our lives, we will face any persecution with dignity and we will not shrink back. Give us the strength that we would need to face the injustices and the insults and the false accusations. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Give him praise this morning.